Well, here we are at the, uh, the end of October, which seems weird to say because it seems like March break just started. Um, and we're at the end of October, also at the end of another series. It seems like every time I start a series, all of a sudden I'm wrapping that series up and uh, we're moving on to another series. And uh, as I'm preparing the next series we have, I'm already thinking about the one that's after that and after that and after that. And I've really enjoyed this series. Uh, and so it's unfortunate that we have to bring it to an end. Uh, this series that we've been in called Promises of God. And it's been exciting for me because uh, as I prepare these, these sermons, it's, it's a reminder for me of the many promises of God. And it's a reminder for me personally uh, about what God has promised uh, to, to his people, to us, to the world. And so uh, this is our second last week, which means next week is our last week. Uh, but we have two really important promises of God coming up this week and next week. And I think they're very important. I mean, we've talked about a lot that are important. We've talked about failure and fear and guilt and salvation and temptation. As we talked about some very important things. And these are not necessarily more important, but I think also very important. Uh, this week, I think we're going to talk about something that everyone here will understand on a personal level, especially right now with what we are dealing with in our culture. This week, we're going to talk about anxiety. We're going to talk about worry, what it means to be anxious. We're going to talk about that. Right now, I think a lot of us are very worried, even though we may not admit we are a little bit worried. Uh, I think many of us are worried about what the future might look like because of this virus. A recent survey that I read showed that 90% of people have an increased amount of anxiety or worry because of the state of the world right now. So right now, 90% of people are showing increase in anxiety or worry. People are worried. We're anxious. We're stressed. We're fretting about what is coming up or what is going on. Not only are we worried about just the COVID-19 and the pandemic and all the other things that are happening in culture, but we're worried about even what that impacts us and our lives and our friends. We're worried about our health, our physical health, but also our mental health. We're worried about things like our finances. Uh, will we have enough money to make it through if everything closes and then when things close, prices skyrocket? Will we have enough money if we lose our job? We'll be able to pay our rent and our mortgage. We're worried about our job, even just having it. Are we still going to have our job in three months or six months? Or will, will we be unemployed and be looking for a job? Or perhaps we've already lost our job, and, and now we're worried about will we ever find another one again? Will I ever be able to find a job like the one that I used to have? We worry about things like the economy. What will be the global effect of this? What will be the national economy, but the global economy? How will this affect that? We worry about what happens if the world shuts down again. What will we do? We're worried about our loved ones, our parents, our grandparents, our kids. We worry about those who are at a greater risk of the virus. We worry especially right now that our kids have gone back to school and schools seem to be showing an increase in coronavirus. And so we worry about those things, but at the same time, we worry about what it would mean if we had to take them back out of school again. What would that do if we had to take them back out of school? And so we worry about both of those things. We worry about things like, what if we go to the grocery store next time there's no food on the shelf? Or, what if there's no toilet paper next time I go to the grocery store? <laughs> See, worry and anxiousness or anxiety, they are huge parts of our life right now. And most people can probably either have this right now, they're feeling this increased sense of worry or anxiety, or they completely understand it because they have felt it before. Likely many of us have some sense of an increase of worry or anxiety over something in our lives right now. 
And I don't think anyone could blame anyone here for having some of these worries because quite honestly, no one knows what tomorrow might bring with it. No one knows what's going to happen tomorrow. We have no idea what's coming up next. But see, worry is not just relegated to times like right now where there's a global pandemic. Worry or anxiety are part of our life a lot of the time. They're natural parts of our life that some struggle with their entire life, but worry is something that comes up at various points throughout our entire life. And many experts and doctors and psychologists and even scientists understand that worry is something that can lead to many other issues later on in life. Worry can bring up other things, other factors. And so what they realized was they said, well, we want to stop those other things, so we need to get the root causes of worry. So to get to the root causes of worry, they needed to uncover what are the things people worry about. What are the most common worries or anxieties in life? And so here we're going to look at the common, or the 13, sorry, most common things that people worry about. And some of these are going to be super obvious. You're going to say, oh yeah, I've worried about that. And some are going to go, oh really, I never thought about that. So here's the most 13 common worries in life. And the number one is being overweight. One of our number one worries, the number one worry, is being a little bit overweight. Now, it did actually say being overweight slash stomach fat is quite literally what it said, but I classed it up a little bit there. Uh, but I think what they're getting at especially is the idea of the dad bod. Um, so being overweight is a big worry. It's our number one worry. And number two worry is getting old. Getting old is a worry. Number three is lack of savings. Number four is just our overall health. Number five is loans. We worry about our loans. Number six is low energy or tiredness. We're worried about how low energy or tired we are all the time. Number seven is our credit card debt. Number eight is we worry about paying rent or our mortgage. Number nine is our job security. Number 10 is our diet and our nutrition. We worry about our diet and what we eat. Number 11 is a clean house. That's never a worry of mine, but it is certainly a worry of my wife's. I know that. Uh, and so I kind of chuckled when I saw a clean house was on there. Number 12 is job search. We worry a lot over job search. And number 13 is our sex life. We worry over our sex life. These are the 13 most common things that we worry about. And so we know what we worry about, and so now researchers wanted to find out why we worry about those things. And they wanted to not just find out why, but they also wanted to figure out how much time we spent worrying about these things and other things. And what they found was that, on average, a typical person spends between an hour and 40 minutes and two hours and 10 minutes every single day just sitting and worrying every day an hour and 40 to two hours and 10 minutes just simply stewing in worry or in anxiety now if you do the math that's about we'll say it's about an average of two hours a day and that's an average of about 14 to 15 hours per week worrying if you're really great at math like some other people are that equals about to show that we spend about six and a half years of our life just worrying that's six and a half years just spent worrying or being anxious. That's just too much. That's entirely too much time spent worrying. And the thing is, if you look at all 13 of those things on that list, all those issues that we worry about, all of those things will be realities for most of our entire lives. All of those will always be things for our entire lives. We may at one point get out of mortgage and rent. We may have that, but we will still have other financial worries. We may get old at some point in life, but we will surely be worried about getting more old. We never stop aging, right? We will constantly worry about our physical and mental health. These things will always be realities of life until the day we die. We'll never be rid of them. 
And so those things will always be there, but the truth is that the worries about those things don't have to be there. The worries over those things don't. And so as we're looking at worry, we should just take a step back and see what worry really is. What are we defining worry as? I mean, we all can sense when we're worrying. We recognize that emotion of, ooh, I'm worrying over something. And so what is worry then? Well, worrying is a form of thinking about the future, which is defined as thinking about future events in a way that leaves you feeling apprehensive or uncertain. It's a way that thinks about the future, that you're left with this tightness inside of you, this apprehensiveness, this uncertainty, this anxious feeling about you're unsure. And excessive worry will lead to, or leads to a disorder called generalized anxiety disorder. So worry, quite simply put, is just not good for us. Worry is not good for us. Lucky for us, though, the Word of God has something to say about worry, specifically. We've already looked at the scripture. If you remember back, if you've been following with us, you remember back, we just did a series on Philippians. And so we already looked at this scripture, but we're going to dive into it again today. We're going to dive a little bit deeper. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7. And Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Two short verses. And in those two short verses, we have three things that we're going to look at today. There's a request, a replacement, and a reward. So first, let's deal with the request. Right off the bat, we see the request. We see what Paul says the request is. It says it in the first seven words. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. Some translations that say, do not worry about anything. So they say, do not be anxious or do not worry about anything. So don't worry or don't be anxious. That's the request. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. I mean, okay, perfect. That sounds simple enough. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Sounds easy. Except for the fact that as we have already seen, there are a million and one things in our world to worry about. There's always something to worry about. There's war, there's famine, there's pandemics, there's terrorist attacks, credit cards, loans, mortgage, rent, our loved one. There's all these things that we have to worry about. There are a million and one things to worry about. So where does Paul get off saying, don't worry about anything, right? It sounds simple, and he says, he says, don't worry about anything. Well, the reason I think Paul can get off saying that is because Paul didn't come up with that idea. Those aren't Paul's words. Paul didn't come up with this idea saying, hey, you know what? This is a great idea. He can say it because he's actually using something that Jesus has already said as well. He's not the first person to say, don't worry. Jesus has already said, hey, don't worry. Don't be anxious about anything. If you remember all the way back to Matthew 6, verses 25 to 31, Jesus is talking to his disciples about worry and anxiety. And I'll read it for you. Matthew, 20, or sorry, Matthew 6, verses 25 to 31. It says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or what you will wear, what you will put on. These things, is life not more than food, and the body not more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about anything? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. 
So if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you? So therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? And he wraps this up in verse 34, and he says, so don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have enough worries for itself. Don't worry. Paul said it because Jesus said it. And so there's good reason not to worry. I mean, Paul and Jesus have both said, don't worry. So we understand, well, we shouldn't worry. And we know that personally. If we've ever worried about anything, which I think we all have in our lives, we know that worry does not help the problem. No one has ever fixed a problem by spending two hours a day worrying about it. You know, how did you get a job? Well, you know, Luke, I just worried for about two weeks, and boom, job came to me. Right? No one has ever fixed a solution by simply worrying or being anxious about it. Jesus says, who can add a single hour to your life by worrying about it? Right? No one's ever worried themselves into having a longer life. The answer is that worry doesn't help. It doesn't help the problem, but worry usually makes the problem worse. Worry usually makes it worse, as many of us likely have experienced in our lives. Doctors and psychologists realized this too. They said that excessive worry or increased amounts of worry or anxiety lead to a lot of negative side effects in our life. And the most common side effects are these ones here. The most common side effects of worry are sleeplessness. I'm sure a lot of us can, can understand and maybe have spent a couple of sleepless nights and we've been up worrying. Perhaps you have a huge job interview in the morning and, and you're up worrying about it all night long. Right? We sleeplessness. The next one is loss of confidence. If we worry, we start to lose confidence. We have increased arguments with our loved ones. One of the most common side effects is increased arguments with your loved ones. Another one is reduced appetite. You don't want to eat because you're so busy worrying you're not hungry. Another is poor workplace performance. Increased distance from your loved ones. So not only are you fighting with your loved ones because you're spending so much time worrying, another side effect is that you're not going to distance yourself from those loved ones. Another side effect is avoidance of social settings. The eighth side effect is increased alcohol or drug use. The ninth is paranoia. You begin to get paranoid of everyone and everything around you. And the tenth is vomiting and nausea. You can make yourself physically ill because you are worrying too much. Worry has serious side effects to it. And Jesus and Paul were right by saying, don't worry, don't worry, don't be anxious. It's like Simone and Pumbaa from The Lion King, right? Hakuna Matata, no worries. It seems so easy, right? The Lion King understood it. We should get it. And it sounds great. Don't worry. And many of us would love to say, yeah, I would love to have no worries in life, Luke, but it is just not that simple. And what do we do then? What do we do with worry? How do we, re how do, how do we deal with worry? Well, that's where we get to the second part. And Paul points out, he says, don't worry. And he says, instead... Replace it with this. So we're in the replacement. So what should we replace that time spent worrying with? Well, Paul says, in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Simply put, Paul is saying, instead of worrying, pray about it. Instead of worrying, pray. He's saying, instead of worrying, take your prayers and all your praises and your petitions, take it to God and leave it with God. Instead of just worrying about these things, which does nothing, pray about those things. Let your requests, let your praises, your petitions, let them be made known to God. And so those three things he says there, he says prayer, petitions, and praises. We're going to look at all this, three of those things. And so why should we replace worry with each of these three things? Well, the first one, prayer. 
This should be obvious. For us, us in the church, we should, this should be an obvious thing that we look to say, right, that is something I should replace my worries with, is prayer. Prayer is when we get to come face-to-face with the God of the universe. We get to come face-to-face with the God who created everything, including me and including you. You get to take your heart, you get to take it to God, you get to open it up and say, here, this is, this is me. This is what I'm feeling right now. This is me and you, God, speaking one-on-one. Prayer is an essential part of the Christian life. It's as essential as breathing to our lives. Prayer should be that essential to our living. And you might be sitting here saying, like I have said before, you know what? Sometimes I am so caught up in my worries, I can't pray. Sometimes I'm so caught up in my feelings of anxiety or anxiousness, I can't pray. I just can't go to God with these things. And see, that's okay because the Bible says when we can't pray, the Holy Spirit prays for us. Right? When we can't pray, he prays for us. When we can't put words to how we're feeling, when all we can do is go to God and cry, when all we can go to God is sit and sit there in silence, or when all we can do is go to God and groan or cry out in frustration or yell, it's okay because God knows what those emotions mean. God knows what the prayer of every tear means. God knows you better than everyone else. So when all you can do is go to God and sit in silence and cry, he knows what that prayer of your heart is. He knows you better than anyone else. He knows you better than you know yourself many times. So the Paul says here, the first thing you need to replace all those worries in your life with is, is prayer. Replace that time spent worrying with time spent praying. And then he says, and take your petitions. So he says, in those prayers, take your petitions to God. And so what are our petitions? Well, we know what a petition is, right? It's when people go around. We want to see maybe a a change in politics or a change in in the public arena of some sort. So I get a piece of paper and I say, here's my thing. Everyone put your uh, signature on my petition. This is my request for change. This is what I would like to happen. You guys should all sign my petition, right? Maybe it's an online petition, or, or maybe I've got a clipboard and I'm going around your house, which no one does these days, but uh, maybe that's what I'm doing. My petition is listed across the top. That's my request for change. And so simply put, our petitions are what we want to go to God and ask for. This is what we want to see, the change that we want to see. It means going to God and being honest about what you would like to see happen. I mean, he's going to God and saying, God, this is the situation, and this is what I want to see come out of it. Now, this is not a guarantee. This is not a magical formula that if you go to God and say what you want, God will go, there you go, now you have it. Right? He's not a genie. That's not how our God works. But part of being a Christian is being honest with our feelings to God. Part of being a Christian is going to God and saying, God, this is how I really feel, and I need to lay that out there. I mean, God knows us inside and out, so he already knows what you really want out of the situation. There's no point pretending you want something else so you can sound better. It's better to just go to God and say, this is what I want to see happen, God. Right? It's okay to go to our God and say, this is what I'd like to see happen. Our God is a God of miracles, and so he already knows what you want. Now, he might look at what you say and say, you know what, my child, I'm sorry, no, This is not what I can give you. This is not what is going to happen because this is not my purpose or my plan. And he might say, you know what? No, here's a new direction. I actually want to go with you. Here's a new place that I want to take you. And he might take you this way. Or the God of miracles might say to you, yes, my child, I love you. And I can do this for you. I can do this for you because I'm God. 
right? And so we'll never know that if we don't take what we want and we lay it at God's feet. We need to be honest with our petitions and say, God, this is, this is what I want. You do with it as you please, but I've got to be honest with my feelings. So we replace our worries with prayers, and in those prayers, we take our petitions and we be specific with what you want. Be specific with how you feel and let God know so that he knows you're being honest with your feelings. And the last thing that we should replace our worries with is praises. It's praises. It says thanksgivings or praises, or some translations say gratitudes. And this one is probably the hardest. Because when we are worrying about something, when we are anxious about something, replacing that worry or anxiety with thankfulness or thanksgivings or praises or gratitude is not as easy as I make it out to be. But see, the thing is that gratitude is necessary. Because gratitude is a stance that our heart takes that reminds us that everything that we have in life is from God. All the blessings that we have are from God. All of that, it reminds us that all the good that we have is not because of any skill that we have brought, but because God has blessed us with it. Gratitude is a position that our heart takes that reminds us that despite the circumstances, God is a good God. Despite what we see around us, God is a good God and He is in control. So how do we bring thanks and praises and gratitude, how do we bring that in our prayers when we are sitting there focused on our worry, when we are sitting there caught up in our anxiousness? And practically, I say start really small. Start very small if you have to. When I, and I'm struggling to be thankful, or when I'm struggling to find things in my life that I'm grateful for because I look around at all the bad circumstances, I start really small. And I might just thank God for the sun I might just thank God for the fact that we have a beautiful moon and stars. I might thank God for the grass or the leaves that I see in front of me at that moment. I might just thank God for the ability to even see the grass or to be able to even see the sun or to be able to hear the beautiful sounds of the world around me or to smell the scents that our world is filled with. I start really small and I praise and thank God for just those small things, often those little details of beauty in life. And if you can't even do that, if you can't see those things and thank God for them, then just start with the very ability that right now you're able to draw breath. Right now, you're able to draw breath. And we are able to even just be thinking creatures and process a thought. We have always that to be thankful and grateful for. And so we start small with our gratitudes and our praises, and we slowly start to replace all those worries with the things in life that we are thankful and grateful and praise God for. Slowly those things build up and we start to realize that despite what it might look like around us at the moment, we have many things to praise God for. It's easy to be consumed with feelings of anxiety or worry than when that's all we can see around us. But if we start to steer our hearts and start to steer them towards the small things that we have to be thankful for and grateful, then slowly our state of mind will change from worry into something so much better. Max Licato says, aren't you glad that God doesn't only give you that which you remember to thank him for? Right? And that has often reminded me of just how much I have to be thankful to God for. We have so much to be thankful for. And so reminding ourselves and reminding ourselves of, of how much we have God to praise for, how much we owe to God to praise him for, even just the smallest details like a blade of grass or a falling leaf starts to steer my heart in the right direction. And so finally, we get to the third part. And so finally, when we have been able to slowly replace worry with prayer, with petition, with praises, we start to see the final part of the scripture. And that's where we get to the reward. And what is this reward? Paul says, the peace of God, 
which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so what is the reward for replacing worry with prayer and petition and praise? Well, the reward is you get the peace of God. When you take all those worries, those feelings of anxiety, all that anxiousness, and you take them to God in prayer, and you take it and you lay it at his feet, he replaces all those worries with something so much better, which is peace. That feeling of peace. Not just, not just any peace or superficial peace, but the peace of God, it says, which surpasses all understanding. Now, what does that mean, or what is that like, you might ask? It's hard to describe, but the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding to me, is that feeling of peace when it just doesn't make sense how anyone could be at peace in that situation. Yet in that situation, they're at peace. It doesn't make any sense how in the situation that this person is in, yet where they are right now, they could be at peace, yet they're able to be at peace. It's beyond our understanding. In light of all the circumstances around you, it makes no sense that you're able to be at peace, and yet you are, because that's the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. A great example of where I see the peace of God is in the story in Mark 4 when you see Jesus and the disciples out on a boat. They're out on a boat and they're crossing the sea, right? And just like that photo, the sea is not exactly cooperating and it's storming and shaking and all the disciples are worried. They're all fretting and they're worried, right? And they're anxious and they're stressing over their situation and the circumstances that they find themselves in. And where is Jesus? He's sleeping, right? He's, he's fast asleep. He's, he's just dead asleep in the middle of this. Now, I'm a pretty good sleeper, and I'll be honest, I'm a fairly good sleeper. I do sleep through our baby crying quite often. Uh, Janice will say, did you hear the baby all night? And I, uh, t- yes, totally heard him. This morning at 7.30? No, more than that. So I sleep through the baby quite often. I'm a pretty solid sleeper. I sleep through my dog whining. I'll say to Janice, like, oh, he was pretty good this morning. And she'll say, he whined for eight hours straight. Like, I sleep through that. And I can even sleep through my wife's snoring. I can sleep through all of these things. And, and the thing is that, as good a sleeper I am, if I was on a boat in the middle of a storm, I can guarantee you I would not be able to sleep. There's no way that if I'm on that ship and we're going over these massive waves, there's no way I'm going to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to go take a quick nap. See you guys in a bit. There's no way that's a possibility for me. Why? Because I'm going to be worried and anxious about what kind of situation we're in. But Jesus, Jesus is dead asleep. He's passed right out. He's just having a nice sleep. And the only explanation is because he is able to be at peace. He has that peace of God which surpasses understanding. It makes no worldly sense why anyone could nap in the middle of a storm like this. It only makes sense in light of the fact that Jesus was able to have the peace of God. He's not worried. Despite the circumstances he finds himself in, Jesus is not worried about what could happen or what might happen because he knows that everything is according to God's plan. And so Jesus doesn't have to worry that he's in the middle of a storm because he's able to have the peace of God. He didn't worry, so he can be at peace. That's the kind of peace that Paul is talking about when he says the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. It's that kind of peace that guards your heart and your mind so your heart and your mind aren't so consumed by worry, but instead they're consumed by Jesus. They're consumed by thoughts of Jesus. It's that kind of peace that goes deep inside of your heart. It's that kind of peace, instead of your thoughts all day long consumed by worry and anxiety, they're consumed by thoughts of Jesus. It's that peace of God that guards your heart and your minds and replaces the worry that's usually at the center of your heart with what should be at the center of your heart, which is Jesus. Now, I don't know what tomorrow looks like. 
Uh, truthfully, I don't know what the next week looks like, the next month looks like, the next six months look like. And despite what they might claim on television, neither do the politicians, neither do the scientists, neither do the teachers. None of us really know what tomorrow or the future or the next day, none of us know what that looks like. None of us know what the end of this pandemic looks like. But we do know some of the things that this pandemic has taught us. It's taught us numbers of lessons. COVID-19 has taught us a lot of things. It taught us that the world is more connected than we ever thought. We didn't realize how connected our world is. We thought, well, if there's a tragedy way over there, well, that's way over there. At least we're safe over here. But this has taught us that's just not true. We're connected. It's taught us that we take a lot of things for granted in life, like the ability to just travel, the ability to just travel and go see other places. We take for granted things like being able to see our loved ones whenever we want. It's taught us that we're more divided than ever on some issues. It's also taught us that Amazon will have anything delivered to your door by the next day. And it's taught us that for unknown reasons, people will hoard toilet paper in a an pandemic. For unknown reasons, that's the first thing to go. Most importantly, though, in all of this, it has taught us that we are not in charge. We are not in charge. We thought we were in charge of our world and this has reminded us that God is in charge. We are not in control as much as we would like to think that we are. We are not able to control what happens next. So what we can choose then is to not worry about what happens next. We can choose to not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. The message translation does a really great job of making this scripture here, Philippians 4, 6 to 7, understandable, applicable, and easy to use. And so I'm just going to read this and leave you with that. It says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. And so, will you let Jesus Christ displace the worry at the center of your heart?